There is a great message of truth in that. That should, in that song that Brian just sung, that should give peace and hope to our lives and a reason for us to be thankful. I want this morning for you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to the Old Testament book of Job. Today we're going to study all the way through the book of Job. Um, well, when I say it, we're going to kind of give the Reader's Digest version of it. No. This is my time now, okay? Thank you. Job chapter 42. And we're go- we've been looking at this... Uh, theme and preparation for Thanksgiving. Thursday is Thanksgiving. You know that, right? This year, Thanksgiving's a little different than previous years, isn't it? I know that we usually have a large uh, family gathering, and um, uh, our, family, our families have decided, no, we want to stay small this year. And so if you're like us, then that's a little different. Thanksgiving and Christmas is one of those two times of the year where I get to see all of my family all together. I get to see my nieces and nephews and, and uh, great nieces and nephews and others in the family. Uh, and it's a, it's a great time, but this year it's a little bit different. And we kind of talked about that last week, about how we are uh, kind of in the throes of what Alexander was in, having a terrible, no good, very bad day. Well, we want to talk to you today. I want to, to focus in on being thankful, not just when things are bad. That's usually what the sermons are about uh, at church around Thanksgiving, about even though you're having this problem and that problem, you can still be thankful. I want to talk to you about one where we really struggle, and that is learning to be thankful during the good times. When things are going, are rocking along. You know, Thanksgiving, I just it just seems to me that Thanksgiving... Uh, one of the reasons why it, this is a hard, these changes <clears throat> uh, to the way that we're celebrating Thanksgiving this year because of the COVID virus, that it seems like uh, uh, we've taken for granted all the previous years, haven't we? The ability to be together with family and to share all those times, and we really kind of miss it now. We, here's, our, here's the point that I'm making. We've had it good. And we still weren't very faithful with our thanksgiving. I want to look at a man, and this isn't the story of his life. This is the story of one time and one situation in his life. But we read some things about Job from these pages. Uh, and they, sh- they reveal to us his heart. Now, I, I am going to have to assume that you're at least somewhat familiar with the story of Job. Job is 42 chapters in length. Um, and that, and we're going to take up chapter 42. So that ought to tell you we're going to kind of overview or skim the, the, the life portion, the biography portion of, of, uh, of Job's life. And we're going to, I want to take you to the end. Then we're going to go back to the beginning. Uh, But I want us to look today about being thankful during good times. Job had a fairly good life. I mean, he was doing pretty well for himself in chapter 1. 
Um, and everything was going along well. He had a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep, a lot of camels, a lot of donkeys, all of these things. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He had 10 children, and they were all healthy, and these 10 children got along. That's a blessing to have a family of 10 children. And they, they got along, and they liked to be together, and they enjoyed fellowshipping together. Job was a blessed man. And we read in chapter 1 how there's a, a committee meeting of the angels in heaven, and Satan shows up. And uh, God says, what are you doing here? And now this is my, me telling the story. And he says, well, I, I, I've just been going around the earth to see if there's anybody there that's faithful to you, that's thankful to you. And uh, God says, well, have you thought about Job? He's a pretty good old boy. And Satan says, yeah, but you give him everything he wants. He's got everything that you could imagine. Take that stuff away from him, and then you'll find out uh, that he's not quite so thankful. And then, uh, and God does, does that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But then he says, yeah, you've taken his stuff away, but you didn't hurt him. You didn't cause any, inflict any pain on him. And he says, well, then go ahead and inflict pain on him. But you can, you can only inflict it up to the point of death. And so uh, Satan does that with Job. And Job still has this heart uh, of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. He went from the heights to the depths. But he never stopped being thankful to God. And so when we arrive at, the, at chapter 42, in just a moment we'll kind of fill in this space. When we arrive at chapter 42, Job is going to express his heart after this. After he's gone through all of this experience. Uh, he, I want you to see the way his heart is um, now at this point. So I, in, in John or Job chapter 42, I want to begin at verse 1. And begin reading there. It says, then Job answered the Lord. There's been a conversation that's been taking place from, uh, from Job chapter 4 through, uh, through Job chapter 37. Those chapters where there was some of Job's friends who came by to tell him why he was going through and having the problems he was having. And Job responded to them and oftentimes would respond to him, talk to himself, and he would talk to God. But God never, never speaks during those chapters. This is, this is, he's hearing the counsel first in verses 4 to 5 of, uh, of, of a little, uh, Eliphaz. Then Job responds. And then chapter 8, Bildad, Job responds. Zophar, Job responds. Eliphaz again. This is in verse chapter 15. Job responds. Bildad in chapter 18, Job responds. Zophar in chapter 20, and Job responds. Eliphaz again for the third time, explaining to Job in his theology as to why all this bad stuff's happening to him. Job responds. Bildad for the third time, uh, and Job responds. And then along comes a young man named Elihu. 
And Elihu says to, to Job, now I haven't said anything and I've let all these friends of ours speak because I'm young and you're old. Um, but I want you to understand the way it really is. And he, from his youthful position, he explains to Job what's happening in his life. Again, God never speaks during all these, all these uh, verses and all these conversations until Elihu's finished. And then God speaks. And you know what the first thing God says to him? You can look at chapter 38. He says, who is this that speaks without knowledge? Now, that's, that's kind of my paraphrase of what he said. Who darkens the counsel by speaking what he thinks? Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then God has this conversation with Job. And he, he says something like this. Job, I know you can't understand what you're going through. But let me ask you, were you there when we put the the exact position for the stars in the sky? Were you there when I commanded, this is how far the oceans can go, and this is where they can't go? Were you there when, when the sun was hung and the moon was... Were you there when all of this was designed? God says, I did it. I designed all of that. You're never going to understand some things. In life, you will never understand some things. You know why? Because you and I are not God. And sometimes it takes, the reason why Job is 42 chapters long, sometimes it takes 41 chapters for us to get it. We have, we have it all. It's all gone. We get it all back. But we still don't understand why things happen the way that they do. But here, I, I'm here to tell you, God does. So Job, now after, after three chapters, God has laid out um, his case before Job. It says that Job replied to the Lord. Look at verse 2. I know that you can do all things. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing beyond your ability. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I didn't understand. Things that are too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you'll answer me. My ears had heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. This is a man who has fallen under conviction, if you will. Not because of the circumstances that have happened to him, but because God's word itself has confronted his heart and his life. These men... Friends of Job had come to explain his plight, why his problems were 
taking place. Now, whether or not they're right isn't the point. There are some who just feel it necessary to explain to you what they think about your situation. I want you to know the reason why I'm saying this is this. People will talk you out of your thanksgiving. People can talk you out of being grateful to God for what you have, good or bad. And one of those, they may be well-intentioned. They may be, uh, they may be in agreement with amongst themselves and agreeable to all the books that you've read. But they, they can try to talk you out of it. But here's the one that will talk you out of your Thanksgiving more than anyone else on the planet. You. You can talk yourself and question yourself out of being grateful and thankful to God. Let me tell you one of the ways we do that. I'll tell you how that can happen to you in your life uh, so you'll notice it. So you'll know it when it comes. It's, wow, I can't believe this is happening to me. And, and uh, I don't deserve this. I did this, and this is what I get for doing that. You see, what we're doing there is we're talking to ourselves just like Nate, or Elihu and Eliphaz and all the others that come to us to give us the input. We also give ourselves input. And we also talk ourselves out of being grateful and thankful. Now, that's kind of what happened in this case. As you follow along chapters 4 through 37, and you see the continuity of the conversations that Job is having with his friends, and how Job is defending himself, you begin to see Job turning a little bit bitter toward God, ungrateful to God for what's happened in his life. For instance, Eliphaz says, Job, you need to understand that the reason this bad stuff's happened to you is because you deserve it. You have done something really, really bad. I don't know what it is, but you've done something really bad, and God's, God is trying to just knock you down. Well, none of that was true, right? I mean, if you've read, chap if you've read Job chapter 1, you know that this wasn't God's idea to make life miserable for Job. It was Satan's. God just allowed it. And so this counsel, at first Job says, no, I've not done anything wrong. But by the end of these conversations that he has, both from his friends and from his own mindset, Job now says, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I don't deserve all the, you know, and he talks himself out of being grateful. It'll happen to you if you're not careful. Now, I want to... Then he enters into this conversation with God in chapter 42. We just read the conversation that he has. And uh, I just kind of want to... Uh, I want to tell you some... This is just kind of setting up this message that I'm, that I'm uh, trying to deliver to you. Um... 
When you're going to have a conversation with God, there are a couple things you need to remember. Okay? If, you're, if you decide you want to tell God kind of the way it is, there are a couple things that you need to remember. This, this is, just write this down. Because we have conversations with God all the time, right? And there are things that God doesn't know about living life in this world. And there are things he just doesn't understand about what's going on in my life. And I have to set him straight. For many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, that explains our prayer life. We're trying to explain to God why this bad thing's happening to me. Uh, and so that he can fix it. So here are the two things that you need to remember when you're going to have a conversation with God. And they suddenly came to the memory of Job in chapter 42. First of all, you're going to have a conversation with God. You need to remember who God is. Remember who you're talking to. My dad, my dad um, was a reasonably strict disciplinarian. And when I became a teenager, let, no, let me take this off of me. When my sister became a teenager, <laughs> she could be quite argumentative. She's probably watching this, Marcia, so sorry. Can't tell it on myself. But dad would say things when, when we would smart off, the way he'd call it, to mom or him. He'd say, who do you think you're talking to? I think that this would be a good phrase that, that youngins and oldens today should hear. Especially when you're having a conversation with God. Who do you think you're talking to? You think that you can just tell God any old thing and it doesn't matter. Because after all, God's a God of love and forgiveness and mercy and, and all of that's true. And I think it's important that you are honest in your conversation with God. But remember who you're speaking to. He's the man, as, as Job was reminded, who built all this, who put everything together. Who allows things to happen in your life and who stops things from happening in your life. Look, at, look again at some of the things that, uh, uh, that Job says uh, in remembering who God is. Verse 2. I know you can do all things. There's nothing beyond your ability to know. There's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. I mean... You, you can do anything, anything, and you have the power. You're more powerful than anything that I face. And nothing that you set your mind to do, God, can ever be shortened, interrupted, stopped, diverted, thwarted. It's going to happen the way God says it's going to happen. Now that ought to just be a, just file that away when you're thinking about what's going on in our world today, especially with regards to the COVID thing. Could God, could God do something about this intervene? Of course he could, according to this verse. There is nothing you can't do. You can do all things. You could, he could 
we could get up tomorrow and God could say, no more coronavirus, and guess what? They can't, they can't make a vaccine or any kind of medication that would stop what God wants to do. Now, God may, um, may choose to let things go, but that's, that's within his ability also. I'm not exactly sure why God's allowing these things. I just know that God is able. That, that's who you're talking to when you're having a conversation with God. Then look at, look at verse 5. Notice verse 5, what it says. He says, my ears had heard of you. Now my eyes have seen you. I mean, I, I, I heard all this stuff, and, and Elihu and Bildad and all those others had, had uh, told me, shared with me theology, and I understand all that stuff. But now I've seen who you are. And I have to say, since you're the God who can do anything, nothing you can, that you want to do can be stopped, that I just must say, God, your will be done. That's, that should be our, our response. That's, that, that, that verse, thy will be done, could have taken place in, in verse 4, and we could have gone, we could have avoided all those other 34 chapters in the Bible. But we, it takes us a long time to get to that point, doesn't it? We have to talk ourselves, rationalize, and logistically arrive at the conclusion that God's in control and whatever he wants, whatever he's planning to do, he'll do. And that's not just in a generalistic kind of way. That's true in my life and your life as well. God is working his plans and his purposes out. We know that. But he says, I had heard of all that before. Now my heart knows it. So what he's saying is to remember who God is when you're talking with God. But let me tell you a second thing. If you're going to have a conversation with God, be honest about who you are. Be honest with God about who you are. Verse 3, Job says... Who is, that, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? I spoke of things that I didn't understand. Things that were too wonderful for me to know. You, he's, he's saying to, to, to God there, you know, I, I thought I had all this stuff figured out. But I have learned that I don't. I don't have it all figured out. You know all, you can do all, and I can't. Oh, what a, what a wonderful revelation when you and I can ever come to this, to this end. God can do it all, I can't. God knows it all, I don't. God is above it all, I'm not. When I know and understand who I am, then my conversation with God isn't, Fix this, correct this, everything's going along fine until this. But rather to have a thy will be done and you know what's best. Just just do whatever you will for 
for me to. Then I want you to also notice what he says uh, uh, in verse 4. You said, listen now and I'll speak. I'll question you and you will answer me. And then verse 6 says, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Dust and ashes doesn't sound very glamorous, does it? He repents of who he is and he's, he's honest with God and God, um, God now has him to the place where he's teaching him some lessons. So I want to I talk to you about, about the lessons that, that Job has during this whole process. What lesson is it that God is trying to teach him? Job's lesson on Thanksgiving. To get that, first of all, we have to go back to the beginning. So the lesson that God is teaching him is starts in chapter 1. And there in chapter 1, it says that Job was extremely wealthy. That he had uh, these goats and these, these sheep and all of these things. Listen to what it says. I know you're not there, but in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says that he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He had many servants and was the greatest of all men, of all people in the East. Uh, you, may, you and I, because we are not agricultural, may not, I, I guess we're not, I'm not, we may not be impressed with those numbers. But I want you to know, 3,000 sheep's a lot of sheep. 500 camels is a lot of camels. The donkeys and the oxen and all the, I mean, he could, he, could, he could operate a massive farming community. And the, the sheep could be sold and sheared and all of those things and uh, be consumed. They can produce dairy. They can produce, there's enormous power in that part of the world, especially with sheep. Camels, camels were, could be a transport business. Be like owning a fleet of semi-trailers, semi-tractors. You know, I mean, and you're moving produce all around and you can make a pretty, pretty decent living owning that kind of a business. <coughs> um, he had the donkeys and he had, uh, he had the, uh, the oxen, the yoke of oxen on he was wealthy. In addition to this, he had seven sons and three daughters. Now, this is the way it all started at the beginning. And when it was all taken away from him, I want you to notice one verse in chapter one that kind of helps us to understand his heart at the beginning. When all of this, by the way, there's a, there's a bad day that takes place and, and uh, a servant comes to him and says, all the sheep you have, all, all 3,000 of them, they've all been killed. I'm the only one that escaped the tragedy and came here to tell you. And no sooner had he got that message than he gets a message about the, uh, uh, the, the, the camels being 
destroyed. And I'm the only servant that was able to get away and to tell you this. And then the 500 uh, yoke of oxen that were destroyed. All this stuff was taken away from him in a day. <coughs> On top of it all, he then gets the message that while your children were together having a fellowship time, the house fell in on them, and they were all killed. And I'm the only one that's escaped to tell you about all this. All of this in Job chapter 1 seems to happen in one afternoon. Now that's a bad day. How would you respond? How would you respond? Here's what the way Job responded. Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. I have to tell you, verse 21 is a, uh, is a verse that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. That that would be the way that I would respond. But you see, Job had a heart that understood everything that he had came from God. And so God gave, God took away. I have amassed an enormous wealth and a great business here. But I understand God did all that. And he chose to go this different way. So blessed be his name. I get that with regards to the sheep and the camels and the donkeys and the oxen. I really struggle with losing 10 children in one day. That's, that's horrible. Horrible isn't even a good word. It's, it's too, too light duty. That would be devastating. But his attitude is, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now that will help you to understand how this story begins. Now we go to the conclusion of the story. The conclusion is found in, Je in Job chapter 42. Now if you're, this is where we were reading from earlier. But I want to go a little bit further down in the chapter. Uh, <clears throat> because the Bible tells us in verse 10 that God restored the fortunes of Job. Except that everything that he restored to him was double what it was before. So instead of 7,000 sheep, what does he have? 14,000. And uh, uh, instead of... 3,000 camels, God gives him 6,000. God's going to restore to him twice what he had before. <clears throat> look, at, look at verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job, of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. I'm sure that those additional ten children didn't replace the first ten in his heart. But God restored to him children. And not only that, but it says <clears throat> that um, in all the land there weren't any women as beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. 
And then it says, after this, Job died. He lived 140 years, and he saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. His children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren, four generations that God gave him and restored to him. And so it says, verse 17, Job died old and full of days. And his days were full. He had a lot of time on this earth and he had the chance of seeing something happen in his life twice. To see God so bless him. But to me, it seems as if if there's any time where Job is more grateful, um, it's at the end he had he was he was grateful at the beginning. God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he was grateful at the end. And we we see that all the way through this, good times, hard times. Job had a grateful heart, and God needed to teach him that lesson to have a grateful heart. Listen, some of us are going through some hard times right now because God's trying to teach us something. God wants us, in fact, let me just say this, if you, in case you think that I'm kind of doing preacher talk right there. If you can still breathe, God's teaching you something. Now, we aren't necessarily real quick. Some of us are pretty dense, pretty thick in getting the, getting the, uh, the message that God may be trying to teach us. But God wants us to understand something. And, and here are the lessons that I want to share with you that I think come from this story that are important for us, for you, me and you to learn in order to have this heart of thanksgiving. First of all, we need to learn that everything in the world, everything in the world belongs to God. It's all his. Dear friends, the sooner you learn that lesson, that everything you have is not yours, it's God's. The sooner you'll be able to have a grateful heart. You'll be grateful for what you do have because you'll understand it's something that God chose especially for me. In fear and in danger of quoting a politician, you need to understand you didn't build that. You didn't make that. God did. God uh, takes care of everything, every need that we have because of who he is. It's all his. He chooses, he apportions to you um, what it is that he wants you to have. Now let me, let me say this, because I, when I said that a moment ago, I saw some nods. saw some people who agree that we know this. Remember Job says, I've heard this before. Now I know it. I've seen it. We know that, and I understand that the lessons that I'm, that I'm saying here, everything in the world belongs to God, that's not new news to you. You've probably heard that before. It's all his, but let me put a spin on it or a twist to it or an enlightenment to it that might change some things for you. And that is this. That wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> If everything belongs to the Lord, 
that is true not just not just of, of the good things, but also the bad things. Does somebody know that their that their phone is speaking? Oh, okay. All right. Because I'm going to make sure that I quote now. If somebody's going to quote after I say something. Then I, <laughs> the good things and the bad things are gifts to you from God. Your good health is a gift to you from God, but so is your bad health. The consequences of of diseases are a gift to you from God. Did you ever think about that? That not only does he give you plenty of food, sometimes he may give you a short supply of food. So you'll learn how he uh, provides, takes care of you. Some of the, Susan, if I tell this, some of the richest days of our lives as husband and wife took place when we were in seminary. When I was working at a church for $75 a week, and, um, and we struggled. I mean, we, there was one time <clears throat> when we were on our way home from church on a Sunday night, and um, we didn't have any food at the house. And Nathan was in the back seat, and he was thinking, when we get, when we get home, can, can I have a bowl of cereal, he said. And, and uh, I said, sure. So he says, no, we're out of cereal. Can I have some milk? Well, we're out of milk. And he went through everything he could think of. And finally he said, when I get home, Dad, can I have a glass of water? <laughs> but I will tell you that during those days, we learned how God could provide. Our rent at the apartment that we lived in was about $100 a month more than we made. <clears throat> we made every rent payment. God provided for us. When we got home that particular night, I think it was that night or maybe the next morning, there were some groceries sitting outside our door. God took care of us. There wasn't a Sunday that went by while we were at, uh, serving at this church. I don't think a Sunday that went by where somebody didn't come up and, and give us $10 or $20 or something like that. God provided for us. It's amazing to me that God was, that I learned more from struggling financially than I ever have learned from having plenty. I'm so grateful that God not only sends the good things, but the bad things. Everything in this world belongs to him. And he's given it to me for a reason. <clears throat> Secondly, second lesson we need to have is this. Understanding the ways that God works is beyond our capacity to understand, to know. You and I can't possibly know why God does what God does. Now, I'm not telling you, so therefore just give up and go along with blind luck. Search for God's heart. What is it that he's trying to tell you? But understand, there are some things that God just says this is what I have for you. Parents, you remember using that phrase when you're frustrated with your children <clears throat> that you finally eventually get led to where you say, because I said so, that's why. There are some things that we need to understand. The answer from God is because I said so, that's why. 
you aren't going to be able to understand. It's not, it's, it's light years above our pay grade to understand the way God works. I know that what he does is good and for good. The Bible tells us that. But I don't understand it all the time. Do you? You never will. It's beyond our capacity. So therefore, when God allows the good things and the bad <clears throat> to come to teach us these lessons, whatever they are, we just have to learn how to trust him. I don't know about you, but I live in a time when the people around me a lot of them have a whole lot less than I do. And there are others who have a whole lot more than I do. And I can spend my days trying to figure that out. Or I can understand that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever he wants me to do, whatever he wants me to have, that's what I, that's what I want to see take place in my life. <clears throat> that's having a thankful heart. A heart of thanksgiving grateful for what I have. The third lesson that God uh, teaches us for Thanksgiving from, from this story is that whether things are good or things are bad, we can be thankful. Thanks, Thanksgiving, being grateful, being thankful is something that every last one of us can do. It's, it's within, your, within the realm of your possibility. It's in the realm of your faith. It's in the realm of, of your knowledge to be grateful for every last thing. In every last situation, it's something, whether things are good or things are bad, that we can be uh, thankful for. And you know why that's important? Because it is a command of God for us to be thankful. Don't think I'm right with that. Look at, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 18 says, In everything, give thanks. Because that's a neat thing to do. It's something you should do every fourth Thursday in November. No, it is the will of God for your life, that you be thankful in every situation and everything. It's the will of God uh, for you to have that heart of thanksgiving. Not just at thanksgiving, but all the time. How, you don't understand, preacher, I, I just don't feel thankful right now. It has nothing to do with how we feel. Thanksgiving is is a choice that we make. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't, I really believe, if I can impose myself on Joe, I think when all those bad things happened to him on that day, I don't think he liked it at all. I don't think he had a great afternoon and said, ooh, let's go swimming. I believe that, that Job saw these things and it hurt and and he couldn't comprehend and he couldn't wrap his mind around what was happening. But I think that he had such a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Because that was God's will for him. That it, that it didn't matter how he felt. It was a choice he made. You and I can make the same choice to be grateful. I want you to bow your head with me if you will.
Because I want us to just have a time where we commit ourselves to being grateful for the good things, for the bad things, for the hard things, for the easy things. Father, I, I know that as we reflect on what we've talked about today, that we, each one of us, have a just have a struggle in our heart with being grateful. Not, not for when we, when we have a lot, we're thankful for the things we have. But sometimes when things are taken away from us, we're not quite so thankful. And sometimes when we have a lot, we oftentimes think that we have this because of how hard we've worked and what we've done to deserve this. Father, today we realize that everything we have, everything, comes from you. It's a gift from you, and it has a purpose in your, in your plan for our lives. So, Lord, teach us to be grateful in all things, in all things, to be grateful. Give us hearts of thanksgiving as we choose to have hearts of thanksgiving. Bless our hearts today, Father, with the knowledge of all that you've done for us and how much you love us and who you are. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.